in the greatest fiction work of all time, Lord of the Rings, as you guys know, um, J.R.R. Tolkien talks about his heroes. And he says something that is great. He explains uh, how the heroes are motivated for, what, what they uh, run for, what, what drives them, what is fueling them as they charge forward into battles and as they're looking to overcome the darkness. He says that they are motivated by a hope without guarantees. And you see this if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but you see it in any great epic story with heroes that are the good versus evil story. There's always these men and women that are fueled by hope, and they're charging forward to overcome evil, to overcome the darkness, to overcome their adversary, but they know that there's no guarantee. And many die in battle, and many are sacrificed for the greater good and for the mission and I love Lord of the Rings, and this is why I think it's the greatest fiction work of all time, because there's so many different elements that are applicable to the human experience. Tolkien was a master at this, especially this, right? This is so true of the human experience. This is true of your life. This is true of my life, is that we charge into all different types of things, different arenas in our life, full of hope, but we know there's no guarantee. All right, many of you are here tonight because you have charged in to a new city, You've moved to Miami recently, last couple months, maybe the last year, and you came here full of hope, but you knew there was no guarantee. You were hoping this was going to be everything you ever wanted. This was going to be the city where you could put roots, you could really feel uh, loved, you could find community, it could be a place where you flourish, and that you're full of hope, but you had no guarantee. Some of you are charging into a new career or to a new company, and you're full of hope. Like, this is going to be it. I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to be excited to go to work. This is going to be the job that really accesses my talents and uses me in a way that I feel like I'm making a difference, but you know there's no guarantee. Some of you are charging into a new relationship, and you're full of hope, you're excited, but you know there's no guarantee. A new friendship. Some of you are, are sitting there thinking you're processing, you know, in college you have this like friendship incubator, you know. We all look back on the friendships in college where you're forced to have friends and everybody has friends. And then you get out of college, you start to transition and many, many, many years go by and you're like, I want to have friends like that again and I don't know how and I want to find it. But it's really difficult because of work and life and responsibilities. So you're charging into these new friendships. You're putting yourself out there. Maybe you came here tonight alone and you're like, that, that's a big step. And you're meeting people, and you're full of hope, hoping that these will really connect and you'll find great friendship, but you know there's no guarantee. Some of you, even on a smaller level, are thinking, and you're processing this weekend, or you know that you have to have this conversation with your boss, right, that is necessary, but really uncomfortable, and you're full of hope that he's going to receive it well or she's going to receive it well, but you know there's no guarantee. Some of you are being stirred by what's happening culturally or politically, and you're thinking, I'm going to write a Facebook post. And you're like, you're full of hope that no one is going gonna, is gonna to respond negatively, but there's no guarantee. And you know that. Some of you are spending time at your office and with your friend group, and you've been feeling, you know, challenged by the Holy Spirit to really share your faith with a friend or with a coworker or invite them to church. And you're full of hope that it's going to deepen your friendship and they're going to be receptive, but there's no guarantee. You're fearful of how that may change your relationship and how they may view you. So many aspects of our life, really every aspect of our life, we charge into things full of hope, but we know that there's no guarantee. And what makes it difficult 
is not the reality that there's no guarantee. It's the reality that if it doesn't pan out the way that we desire or what we're hoping for, we know that we're going to experience what we were not hoping for, right? We're going to experience grief and pain and struggle and death of a sort. And tonight in our series, Face to Face with God, Jesus is going to come face to face with death. And he's going to come face to face with grief and with pain. And we, we pick up tonight's text, and there's a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was a really good friend of Jesus, actually. They were really close. And he is the brother of Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary is the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with oil, with her tears, and she uh, cleans his feet with her hair. It's a story uh, of humility and of faith. And Jesus has become really close to this family, to Mary, to Martha, her sister, and to their brother Lazarus. And Lazarus is very sick. There's no medicine that can heal him. There's really nothing they can do. He's going to die. And so Mary and Martha send word to Jesus who is not too far away, a few miles away, like, Jesus, you need to come. We know that you're powerful. We believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that you are God in the flesh, and we know that you can heal Lazarus. So can you come here before he dies? And the text actually tells us that Jesus remains a few days where he is. And Lazarus dies, and he's been dead for four days. That's what it says here in verse 17. Now, Jesus came, and when he found Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. That's a really important detail. Here's why. One, it helps us to understand that there's been a grieving process that's been happening now. And you see this in the text, right? During this time, this cultural period, when someone dies, there's not a memorial service or a funeral that's this isolated event around a few hours and people come to mourn with the family and with the friends and with the loved ones and then everybody kind of goes back to their lives. This is a day-long, week-long process of mourning, And so people from other towns have come in to console and to grieve with Mary and Martha because their brother has died. And it's been four days now. So this process has been going on now for four days. And the other important detail is that, like, Lazarus is really dead. He's like D-E-A-D dead. It's been four days. He's not unconscious. He's just not really sick. And so he's sleeping longer than normal. He is dead. And at this point, his organs would have been decomposing, which is why later they say, like, no, 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 don't take the stone away because it's going to smell really bad. His body will begin to create this odor because he's decomposing. And it says this in verse 18, that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So there's people here, they're mourning, they're going through this grieving process, and Martha hears that Jesus is on his way. That he's coming into the city, he's coming into the town, and she doesn't wait. She doesn't sit in her house and wait for Jesus to come. She gets up and she leaves. It says that Martha said to Jesus, as she runs out of the town, she gets outside the city before he even enters. She's the only one talking to him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. You can tell even when you're reading in the English translation, like, she's a little frustrated, Right? Like, Jesus, we sent for you, we know that you're powerful, we know that you're God in the flesh, we believe you're the Messiah, this is our brother, your friend, and you didn't come in time. And he's been dead for four days, so what do we do now? I mean, I know that you have the capability of doing something, I don't know what it is, so what are you going to do now? Why'd you take so long? 
And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says, I'm like, um, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus looks at her as she's, she's hurting. She's frustrated. She kind of is coming to him a little bit cold as she's been kind of processing this in her own way. And she's like, Jesus, you could have came here. You could have solved it. You could have healed him. But now he's dead for four days. What are you going to do now? And Jesus says, he's going to rise again. She's like, I know. Like, I get it. We believe that there will be a resurrection of the dead at the last day. I get it, but how does that help me now? Right? Like, that doesn't change the situation. That doesn't change the fact that my brother is dead and my my sister is still weeping over it. And I don't know how we're going to go forward as a family. What What does that do for me? And Jesus lovingly looks at Martha and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This would have really pierced Martha's heart. Because what he's saying here when he says, I am, he's using the covenantal name of God. These are the I am statements that goes all throughout John. He's saying, I am. Like, I am God. I am divine. I am the one on the last day who will bring the resurrection of the dead. The the very hope of resurrection is me. I am the resurrection and the life. He looks at her. He says, you need to understand what what I'm saying here. Like, hope is found in me. You are searching for hope, Martha. That's why you came to me. You're like, you didn't come in time. Now he's dead. What can you do? What hope is there? Can you do something? It is in me, actually. This is the truth that you need to hear. And he further clarifies this scandalous statement. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He looks at Mary at this, or Martha, at this point where she is processing the death of her brother. She's grieving and she's in pain. And he brings truth to her. He says, do do you believe in who I really am? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that there is hope in death? That your brother is dead, but he's not. There is life eternal. There is resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And your brother, my friend, believed in me. He had faith in me. Just like you do, Martha. Do you believe this? And she responds and she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Martha is a woman of faith. She believes that Jesus is the I am, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Messiah. But in her grief and her pain, she forgot this, this hope that she should have, that she should hold on to, that she should cling to and as she faces death, even the literal death of her brother. There should be this deep hope welling up in her because of her faith, but her grief and her pain caused her to forget. It caused her to, to hide it. And to be focused on the here and now and how can I fix the situation. It seems to me like Martha was a fixer. She's just trying to fix it to make it better for everybody, including her sister. And she needed to hear truth. And Jesus tells her, do you really believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Because that means there's hope in death. She needed to be reminded of, of the makeup and the mission of Christ, that Jesus really is God in the flesh, resurrection and life, and that his mission really is to bring resurrection and life 
to all people by his death and his resurrection. She needed to cling to this. She needed to hear truth. Isn't this what happens in life, right? As you're facing death of a literal kind of a loved one or a family member, friend, or you're facing death in other aspects and areas of your life, that sometimes what you need is truth. And God will bring truth to you. You ever had that moment where you open up your Bible and you sit down and you begin reading it and you're like, and it pierces your heart. And you're like, that's exactly what I needed. Like, how, how did I arrive here? Maybe you pull up your Bible app and you're doing the, the app of the Bible verse of the day and it's like exactly what you need on that day with what you're facing. You get stuck in the Instagram loop. You're just scrolling. You don't even know why you're scrolling. You're just scrolling and all of a sudden you stop on a friend. They post a little Bible verse and it's exactly what you needed. It's that truth, it's that promise, it's that hope that you forgot. Maybe God brings a a friend or a mentor to you that speaks truth to you, that reminds you of the hope that you had forgot because of your grief and your pain. Maybe it's through a sermon, maybe it's through a community group and a conversation that takes place and someone says something they don't even know that's exactly what you needed to hear. And sometimes the Holy Spirit graciously will just bring a verse to your mind. Has that happened to you where he just reminds you of a promise? He just reminds you the hope of the gospel, of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for you. Sometimes we need truth when we're grieving and when we're in pain because life is full of death and resurrection, right? It's full of valleys and peaks. Some of you right now, you're, you're facing death. You're in the valley, You're struggling. You're facing the death of a career. You're facing the death of a relationship. You're facing the death of a friendship. You're facing the death of a dream, the death of an expectation. Maybe you're facing the literal death of a loved one. We all go through series, seasons of death, and we're in the valley, and then sometimes we get up on the mountaintop and the peak, and we experience resurrection, but we always know that we're not guaranteed that. Sometimes we're, we're going we're gonna to go back into the valley and we're going to face death. And what we see here is that there are many times that we need to hear truth. We need to be reminded of what we forget, the hope and the promises found in Scripture that are available to us and assured to us by faith. But one of the problems is that we... we don't run to the right place to hear that and to remember that. One of the things I love about this story and you see in Martha is that when she hears that Jesus is coming, she runs out, right? She runs, she doesn't wait. She's like, okay, Jesus is coming finally. You know, I'm just gonna wait here because I'm mad at him. So I'm gonna wait here for him to come to the house. And she's like, she runs out of the village, out of the city. She meets him before he even comes in. She had forgot the hope that her faith brings about. She had forgot that there is hope in death, that Jesus is the resurrection of life, but she still runs straight to him when she hears that he's coming. She understands that this is the place that she needs to run and she needs to be when she's grieving and in pain. But oftentimes, if you're like me, you may hear this, you may know this, but you run other places. You take pit stops, right? You know that Jesus is a place that you need to run when you're grieving, when you're in pain, when you're struggling, when you're facing death, when you're in the valley, but you take pit stops. Take pit stops maybe with a substance. You're grieving, you're in pain, and you run to a substance to mask or to relieve or to hide the the pain that you're facing. You take a pit stop in a relationship you know you shouldn't be in. 
because it can mask, maybe it'll relieve the pain, you think? Take a pit stop in sex to mask what you're really feeling. You take a pit stop in working harder, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to kind of work myself out of this feeling and this grief and this pain that I'm going through. You take a pit stop sometimes with isolation, right? You just isolate yourself. You just pretend like everything's okay. You kind of paint on a smile. Everything's good. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to compartmentalize it. And I think it'll just probably go away. You take a pit stop with maybe forcing change. Have you, have you ever struggled with this? Have you ever thought about that? You're struggling. You're grieving. You're facing death of different kinds. You're in the valley. You're like, you know, I just need a change. I'm just going to make change happen. Where I'm standing, all the grass is burned, so I'm just going to go where the grass is greener, and I'm sure it's going to fix all my problems. If I change this career, if I move to this new city, if I change my friend group, if I leave from this church and go to this church, if I do, I'm just going to go to another greener pasture, and it'll be perfect there. All my problems will go away. We take all these pit stops instead of running straight to Jesus more grieving and in pain because we want to relieve and to remove the pain. And sometimes even we take pit stops at places where we should visit. We stop at destinations that we need to, to stop at and we need to spend time at when we're grieving, but we shouldn't stop there first. So we take a pit stop with a spouse, with a friend, with a pastor, with a counselor, with a therapist, with a family member, we come to them, and we unload on them, and we give them all of our baggage and our grief and our pain and what we're struggling with, and we, we kind of want them to fix it. Tell us how to fix it. Tell me what to do. And these are people that we need to come to, that we need to talk with, we need to invest in, we need to be vulnerable and honest with, but they shouldn't be our first stop. See, what Martha shows us here is that your first stop when you're grieving and when you're in pain and when you're facing death is to run to Jesus, is to come before him to give him everything that you're feeling, to pour it out before him, and to know that sometimes he's going to give you truth. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. He's going to remind you of the hope that maybe you forgot, of the promises that you have ignored. But sometimes Jesus will come for you. When you're too weak or you're too troubled to run to him, he's going to come calling for you. And this is what happens with Mary. Martha runs out to him, but Mary, she's really broken down. It says that when she had said this, Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. So apparently after this conversation that Jesus has with Martha, where he reminds her of truth and she rem he, he reminds her of the hope and death that she had forgot, he tells Martha, I, I'm, I'm, I need to come see Mary. I'm coming for Mary. I know you're going to run on in. Can you let her know that I'm coming for her? And so she runs and she tells Mary that Jesus is calling her. And it says that when she heard it, when she heard that Jesus was coming for her, was calling for her, she rose quickly and went to him. You know, sometimes when you're grieving and you're in pain, you need to know that Jesus is calling you. That he wants you to approach him, to come before him. And she rises quickly, and she goes to him. And it says this in verse 30 through 32. Now, when Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when she came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. 
very familiar when she fell previously at his feet and anointed his feet with oil in her tears, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She hears that Jesus is calling her, and she rises up quickly, and she runs to meet Jesus, and she falls at his feet again. She's probably clutching his ankles, and she's crying. I mean, she has been weeping, it seems like now, for four days straight. In fact, it tells us that they were consoling her. They're around her because she is really broken down. Martha seems to process it differently. But Mary is just weeping at the loss of her brother. And notice what she says to Jesus. The very same thing that Martha says. Lord, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Like, what, why, why, why didn't you come earlier? And she's sobbing. But Jesus does not give Mary the same response he gave Martha. He doesn't look at Mary and say, Mary, um, your brother's going to rise again. And she probably would have just like totally ignored him. Your brother's going to rise again. And um, you need to know that I'm the resurrection and the life. And, and do you believe that? He doesn't say that. He doesn't bring her truth in this moment. Look what it says. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Mary is at his feet and she is sobbing And she looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, if you would have come here earlier, my brother, your friend, wouldn't be dead. And Jesus does not bring truth. Instead, he shares tears with her. Because Jesus brings what you need when you're grieving and in pain. And sometimes he brings truth when you need to hear truth. But sometimes he just weeps with you. He comforts and consoles you. You, you experience that warmth of the Holy Spirit, that love of God, that reminder that God is for you and he's with you and he empathizes with you. How beautiful of a picture is this? Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the eternal God, humble enough to crouch down and weep with Mary, to weep with her as she's facing such deep grief and pain. This is such a beautiful picture of Jesus' humanity. Jesus is eternal, he is divine, but he is also man. He's not 50% man and 50% God. He's 100% God and 100% man. He understands and empathizes with your grief and your pain. This is why Hebrews 4 says that Jesus empathizes with you in your weakness because he has been tempted in every way. And you can come to him in your time of need and find grace and help. This is why Peter says, listen, when you're struggling with anxiety, cast all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you. He weeps with you. When you need to be comforted and to be consoled and to be reminded that God mourns with you, Jesus brings this. He brings truth when you need that, but he'll bring tears and share tears when you need that as well. 
I love the picture of Jesus as a lion and a lamb. We sing a song a lot of times about Jesus being the lion and the lamb. You know, sometimes Jesus will come to you like a lion who brings strong truth. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it's like, oh man, I should not have forgot that, but I needed to hear it. But sometimes he's like a lamb, gentle. He mourns with you. You see, Jesus is strong, but he's gentle. Jesus is honest, but he's tactful. Jesus is holy, but he's approachable. He brings truth, and he shares tears. And there's such great instruction here for us, right? You can see it. There's such great instruction for how do you come to love and care for somebody that's grieving, that's in pain, that's facing a death of a sort. We see here in Jesus' example, because as Christ followers, we're called to be conformed into the image of Christ. And Jesus here shows us discernment and love. And so as you come to somebody that is grieving and in pain, you discern their approach. Are they approaching you like Martha? They kind of a little bit cold? They're, They're processing it internally. It's not external. Or they come into you like Mary, where they're just weeping and they're broken down. You discern what they need. Do they need truth or do they need tears? And because we're not the perfect son of God, we're not capable of understanding that, you ask the Holy Spirit, please help me to discern the right approach here. Please help me to discern how I can love this person before me. Do they need to hear truth or do they need to share in tears with me? This is the the example that Jesus gives us because the reality is, is we all need truth and tears, right? just in different order at different times. Martha needed to hear truth, and she's probably going to share tears with Jesus later. Mary needed to have someone come and cry with her and console her and comfort her as Jesus does, but she needs to hear truth later. We all need truth, and we all need tears, but at different times and different seasons, depending on the situation. But I want you to see Jesus' emotion, because you can see his heart for Mary and his heart for those that are mourning. The text tells us that he was greatly moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There are some places in the English translation where, in my opinion, they do a very bad job translating what is actually in the Greek. So when you read this, he's greatly moved in his spirit and he's greatly troubled. Like he's moved because everyone is crying and he's kind of troubled at this situation. Maybe he's troubled because people have forgotten that he's the resurrection and the life and that there is hope and death. But what the Greek says the, the word in Greek says that he bellowed with anger. Like Jesus is mad. He is furious. He is angry. He is bellowing with anger. So he's weeping with Mary. He's comforting her. He's consoling her. But he's angry. He is mad. You're like, what? why is he mad? What's he mad at? We'll see it as he comes in in contact with Lazarus at the tomb. But he is mad at evil and suffering. He is mad at sin and its effects. He's mad that this is the way that it is. That Martha is grieving the way that she is and she's forgetting truth. And and Mary is broken down. She's been crying for four days. And there's all these people around that are mourning with her. And that his friend Lazarus is dead because of sin and its effects, he is mad. And this is why Jesus has come. This is his mission, right? This is why he's the resurrection and the life. Because the reality is we live in a world of death. We live in a world that tries to take life from you. 
And he's mad that this is the way that it is. This is not God's design. But Jesus is the answer to that brokenness. You know, have you ever asked yourself the question, does God really care about what I'm going through? Like, does he, come on, does does the eternal God really care about my grief and my pain? Here's your answer. He's here with Mary and Martha and those around that are grieving over the loss of their brother, and he's mad. He's mad that they're going through this. He's mad that this is the effect of sin on those that he loves. And so, yes, he cares about your grief and your pain. He's mad with you. You're mad. You're frustrated at what you're facing and what you're going through, and so is Jesus. That is such great truth to hold on to and to know. But here's the beauty of what we see in the life of Jesus we see here in this text. Is that though Jesus is mad at sin and its effects, he's mad that you have to grieve and you have to go through the pain and the death that you face in your life. He's also the hope because he's the resurrection and the life. That this is the way that it is, but it doesn't have to be this way. Because Jesus is available and approachable. It says that Jesus was deeply moved again and he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, she's very analytical. She's like, "Um, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. Like, I don't think this is a good idea. He's been dead for four days. I don't know what you're up to here. And he said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? She's like, okay, okay. I'm going to trust you here. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people sitting around, that they may believe that you sent me. They may believe that I'm the resurrection and the life. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Imagine this. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen, linen straps. He's like been wrapped like a mummy and he's walking out. That's got to be terrifying. Can you imagine that? And his face is wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see, when you are facing death of a sort, death of a career, a relationship, a friendship, an expectation, a dream, when you're facing the literal death of a loved one, it can be so easy to forget the hope that is found in Jesus as a resurrection and life. It can be easy to think that God doesn't care. But this text reminds you that God cares for you in your grief and your pain, when you're facing death, when you're in the valley. In fact, he's mad. That this is the effect of sin. This is the reality. But the truth is that there is hope. That Jesus brings life and resurrection to dead things. The eternal hope for you, if you are a person that believes in faith in Jesus Christ, as he continues to ask, do you believe? He asks the same question to you. Do you believe that Jesus is a resurrection and a life? Because if you believe, there is hope in death. There is eternal hope in death that you know that when you die, it is not over. It's not the end of your story. It's the beginning of your eternal story in relationship with God. But there is also hope in all the other different types of deaths that you face. When you feel like it is hopeless, 
I'm never going to experience this. This is never going to happen for me. This is never going to get better. Jesus brings life to dead things. He looks at all those different things that you're facing, and here's what he says. Come out. Come out. Do you believe me? J.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings, again, the return of the king. He says this. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Death is only a small and passing thing. Every different type of death that you face is a small and passing thing. And hope and beauty is not beyond your reach. It's available. It's available in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. And he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, do you believe me? Do you believe this truth? Do you believe that I care for you? Do you believe that I can bring resurrection to the dead things in your life? Because I can look at them and say, come out and unbind them, and they will go from death to life. That's the hope of the gospel. Will you pray with me?